0: Last year, I'll be doing a series out of James, and we, we're getting towards the end of chapter 3. And so, if you can go to chapter 3 with me, um, I'm going to look at a couple of verses this morning. Looking at James chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. How many of you like a challenge in your life? Yes, it's amazing. People really respond to challenges, and uh, sometimes the greater the challenges, the more people rise to a level to meet that challenge. A challenge is something that inspires every one of us. Um, It might be different things for different people. Maybe you would like to climb Mount Everest. I don't know. Maybe that would be a challenge that you would like to um, uh, enjoy one day. Maybe it would be swimming the English Channel. Maybe it would be uh, competing in the Olympic Games that's just around the corner. Um, which uh, the opening ceremony is this Friday, isn't it? Maybe you would like to do the Tour de France, which uh, Bradley Wiggins is going to win this afternoon. First Englishman to do it. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, come on, get excited. It's worth getting excited about. Because we're not going to be cheering for our cricket team, I promise you that. So let's cheer about Bradley Wiggins. Come on now. You might be one of those people that gets a thrill out of cage diving with great white sharks, whatever it is, I don't know, but um, the challenges mean different things to different people. And here in this little portion of James, James gives all Christians, every single one of us that claims to be saved, that is a, a born again Christian, here is a little challenge that James gives you and I that I believe is the greatest challenge that we face as Christians. And so I'd like to call this message The Greatest Challenge Ever. And I hope you will be encouraged by the end of it. And he says this in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Remember? He's talking to saved people. He's talking to the church. Who is wise and understanding amongst you, you believers? By his good conduct, let him show his works In meekness, which is just another word for gentleness, let him show his works in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So there is such a thing as demonic, unspiritual, earthly wisdom. And then he clarifies it further. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, there will be disunity, and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. What a beautiful passage. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help me now as I preach. Lord, I want to be bold. I want to be bold about the right things. So help me not to be bold about the wrong things. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you've been so with us today as we've gathered. And I I I pray that you continue to change us and transform us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, you alone can rescue. You alone can change people. When we try and change people, we mess it up. And we manipulate people. And they never, never be the fullness of what you intended. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. You would change us. You would would do a work in us that is glorious. And we simply pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So James is coming to the end of this uh, chapter, and he's kind of summarizing and he's changing us at the same time. And this little phrase, Who's wise and understanding amongst you, is really James saying, he's kind of saying, Have you got it yet? Have you got the first three chapters yet? Uh, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Have you understood what I've been trying to say to you? And Remember, first chapter, he talked about faith and perseverance under trials. Second chapter, he talked about works. And the third chapter, he talked about how we speak. That was the main theme of chapter 3. He's very concerned about our, our tongue being an instrument for good and not for evil. And, and now he's kind of summarizing that. He's saying, have you got it? Do you understand? That's, do you understand what I'm talking about? right? And so, the main, th- this question kind of summarizes and points to this theme of chapter 3, which, which really is summarized in the title of this series that I've been doing, Dazzling Christianity. What James is talking about is a dazzling Christian life. He's talking about living a, a, a godly, wise life. That's the challenge that you and I face as believers. And he stressed the uh, different things in the first three chapters. But godly wisdom is simply, very simply, living our lives in a way that pleases Jesus. That's godly wisdom, living in a way that pleases Jesus. And it involves a certain skill that you can only learn by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the mystery of the gospel, that you can't do this by trying hard. You can't do this by being clever. This is a supernatural thing that is imparted to you. It's a gift of God. It comes, and once God transforms your heart, He starts doing an amazing thing in you, and suddenly your life starts to transform before your very eyes. You don't value the same things anymore. Yeah, you might have been a drunkard, and when God touches you, suddenly alcohol has not got that hold of you anymore, and you live differently with regards to alcohol. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit does a radical work in your life, and then you begin to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it's not, you, you, you receive this perfection instantaneously, but then you, you work out your salvation. God helps you, and, you and, and, and things that weren't issues for you before become issues for you now. Now suddenly honesty and integrity is a big issue in your life, and you want to be honest and integrous in all that you do. Why? Because God is motivating you. He's changed your spirit. You no longer live like the world lives. And so it involves this uh, overall lifestyle. It involves being compassionate. Isn't it amazing that Christians, that hard men, when they come to Christ, suddenly their heart is softened and they're compassionate. How does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I want to tell you, I'm not a nice person. Ask my wife. I'm not nice. Except for the Holy Spirit. I am a biter. If I was a dog, I would be a bull terrier. But that's who I am by my personality. I am not, I am not a poodle. I, I try very hard to be nice. But everything that is nice in me is not me, I promise you. In my natural self, I am not nice. What's your name? <laughs> but... The Holy Spirit transforms all of us, doesn't He? And He makes us more gentle, more kind. Thank you, talks. I really, really... really... <laughs> and you see, Paul, when we read the letters of Paul, Paul would call what I'm talking about, he would call the fruits of the Spirit. He would say, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, peace, wisdom, kindness. All these. That's how Paul describes it. James is talking about the same thing, and he's simply saying, he uses a different language. I've said this before. He uses a different language, and he says, this is the wisdom that comes from above. It's the same thing. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so, he uses this comparison. He says, this is what earthly wisdom looks like, but this is what godly, heavenly wisdom looks like. And he's trying to encourage us to take our eyes off the one, and not live there, and to put our eyes on the other, and ask that the Holy Spirit does that in us very, very simple. So this is not a complicated message. And I I just want to just remind you, in chapter 1 we looked at a couple of these things, and I just want to look at this word wisdom again, just to remind you. Remember, the Greeks have two words for wisdom. The first is Sophia. Sophia, wisdom. And we know from the ancient uh, literature, ancient Greek literature, that Sophia was the highest kind of knowledge, it was the highest kind of wisdom, it was the highest ability, and Greeks, ancient Greeks believed that it was not possible for humans to have that kind of wisdom. They believed only God, the gods had that kind of wisdom. It was not humanly possible. And so, you know, it's very hard for us to have that kind of objective self-knowledge um, because uh, the truth is that when you and I look in the mirror, we only see what we want to see. <laughs> when we reflect back on our lives, when we look in the mirror, we only take the good bits, or we remember the good bits most of all, don't we? And we kind of like, oh, I'm not so bad. You hear what I'm saying? And so the Greeks knew that uh, it's very hard to have that objective self-knowledge. They, they believed only the God's have that, and then there was this other word, philo- "philosophia," where we get philosophy from, which which referred to an ability to reason, debate, and to think. Okay, and this is what I'm trying to drive at you. When uh, drive at when James speaks about wisdom, he's not talking about an intellectualism. He's not talking about philosophy. He's not talking about a, an ability to win an argument. Is that's not godly wisdom? Just being able to win an argument. There's a supernatural wisdom that comes from above that James is talking about. And he's saying that's what we need to have. And so, it begins really in the Old Testament. Remember Proverbs? Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And that's what Solomon says. If you want any kind of wisdom to live this life, don't try and feed your brain, intellectual stuff. I believe in reading. I think we should all be great readers. But he's saying there's a wisdom, there's an insight that comes, Sophia wisdom that comes from heaven, that comes by revelation. It comes as you get to know the Holy Spirit. It comes as you get to know Jesus and you, you walk your life and there's a whole lot of mistakes you made and we looked at Abraham and all that and his imperfect walk. But there's wisdom that comes as you get to know God and he gives it as a free gift to you and I. And here's the great challenge, because James says, who of you is wise, <laughs> so he's challenging us, who of you is wise, show it by your good conduct, in other words, show it in how you live, and show your good works in acts of meekness and gentleness, it says that's what wisdom is. Remember I said uh, chapter 3 is not polite to preachers, remember? Well, basically what James is saying, is reminding us, he's reminding me as a preacher, he's saying all, all of us who want to be ministers, we believe in a priesthood of all believers. He's saying this, every one of us as a priest must remember this, in all ministry, that there's a wisdom from heaven that we require more than anything else. It's not just about being able to speak in public. It's not just about being able to lead worship or communicate or whatever. There's a wisdom that we need from heaven to do this thing. And so he defines earthly wisdom very simply. He says this, it's characterized by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in, in your heart. And if you have that, do not be boast and be false to the truth. He says, secondly, he says, this is it's a, a, unspiritual, earthly and demonic wisdom is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And then he says, thirdly, these are the results. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, there will be disunity, and ultimately there will be every kind of evil practice where there's earthly wisdom. That, I believe, includes sexual immorality, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. All those things exist when we try to respond in an earthly, demonic, unthinking, unholy spirit-generated way. That's what it produces in our lives. So is there a disorder in your life? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? I'm saying, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just saying, let's have an honest look because where there is all those things, there's not wisdom from heaven. That's what he's saying. You see, when we, when we kind of like, when we, when, we, um, when we get into earthly wisdom, when we try and think just like the world does, There's selfish rivalry, there's there's harshness that comes into our lives. You know, often we can think that we've been very clever when we get one up on someone in a conversation. You're having a conversation and you kind of, you win the debate, and you kind of, you use your brain and you kind of argue them into a corner, and and you know what James is saying? He's saying, that's not wisdom at all. (laughs) He's saying, that's actually just ungodliness. It might be very clever ungodliness, but it's ungodly. And he's saying to us as people in the church, you don't don't try and just win the argument and lose the person. That's not what it's about. You want Holy Spirit wisdom. And so sometimes we um we like to do that, don't us, don't we? And so basically I want to say my first point is this James is really asking us to change as the church. He's asking us to change. He asks us to change by meditating on this thing of earthly wisdom. And he's asking us to understand that bitter jealousy, harsh rivalry, selfish ambition are what characterizes this thing. He's asking us to think about that and to meditate on that. And you you know, I want to say to you that as the average men and women, we fall into that so easily. And we can paint over it, we can put a veneer over it with nice politeness and kind of being polite to people and nice to people, but I want to say to you, the truth is that people are rivals with each other, and rivalry always leads to harshness. When people are rivals in their heart, there's always harshness that is is results. And so, I'm just saying, our society likes to show that it, it likes to play people off, and so people want to show that they're wealthier than other people. They want to show people that they are cleverer than other people. They want to show people that they've got more goods than other people. And so there's this competition in our society of people trying to be better than each other. And it's all covered over with a thin veneer of being polite and nice to people. But in the heart, there's a rivalry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you know, I've even seen that in the church. Church. People come with the latest theory, which just shows, the latest revelation, trying to show that they are more spiritual than everyone else. I've got secret wisdom. I've got secret knowledge. That's called Gnosticism. Paul and Jesus, and the books of the New Testament, never, never elevate Gnosticism. There's no special knowledge. There, it's quite the gospel is plain for all of us to see. Beware of people that tell you that they have some very special revelation that no one else knows. It's rubbish. The gospel is plain. It's open, it's very simple. And churches are, are ripped apart by people who claim special knowledge. The gospel is easy. open, plain. So James is asking us to change. I want to say to you that when we understand the gospel, and the gospel is transforming us from the inside out, it never leads us towards earthly wisdom. In fact, it leads us into the opposite direction. We stop valuing competition. We stop valuing keeping up with the Joneses, and we just say, God, I'm happy with what you've given me. Thank you, Lord. You've blessed me. It's no longer an issue for me. I don't care about that stuff anymore. I'm going to give myself for the kingdom. The gospel always takes us in the opposite direction of earthly wisdom. And so, James is asking us to change. And he does that by asking us to consider where this, this earthly wisdom comes from. And he uses a strong word. He basically says it's demonic. My friends, it's demonic. Where there's fighting and, and selfishness and rivalry, it's demonic. It does, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Let's just call it what it is. Okay? And then he says, I want you to think about the results of this that there'll be disunity in every kind of vile practice. So why then is he being so plain? Why is he saying this to us? Well, I just want to say simply to you, so that we can see things as they really are, that so we can be honest. You see, a dazzling Christian life, a godly life, starts with this word that no, none of us like. It starts with repentance. It starts with saying, Yes, Lord, you are true, and I am a liar. You have always been true. I have always been unfaithful. It starts at that place. Your kindness is reaching to my life. It's a free gift. I say thank you. There's nothing good that I bring to add to that equation. It's your goodness that makes me anything. You see, when we really start to see things like that, then we will begin to see what clever scheming really is. Clever scheming, one-upmanship, competition, it's vile and disgusting. And I'm using those words deliberately because I want to say it strongly. It doesn't please God in the least. What pleases God is love. What pleases God is affection. What pleases God is gentleness. What pleases God is considering other people better than yourself. That's what pleases God. And so James has already had a go at this church that he's writing to and saying, You discriminate between the rich and the poor, and I don't like that. Remember? Remember? God doesn't like that. You see, when we, when we live like this in this place of earthly wisdom, it's actually we're forgetting who we really are. We are forgetting that we really are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are forgetting that we are people that are called to live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. We forget that momentarily when we start to behave in an unearthly, um, worldly way. Uh, not an unearthly. Um, you know what I'm trying to say. Remember me saying this to people that are saved. And he's saying it to people who are saved because he says, I want you to live better, and I want you to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to throw those things off and to embrace what God has for you. So I'm trying to actually encourage you. And that's why I say this is the greatest challenge that you and I face as Christians. You know, we can all say we um, like challenges. How many of you feel like there's still more for you in your life that God has for you? I feel like that. Absolutely all of us. There's, There's still more. There's a challenge of more. But this is the greatest change that we face, is that we really would become godly men and women. Wise men and women. That has nothing to do with our education or our intellect or our natural ability, but that we are wise men and women by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this really separates the men from the boys. You know? It is the gospel. It's so opposite to our culture. What is masculinity taught in the world? You have to be strong. You have to be the A1 personality. You have to be the biggest, brightest person on the block. You you must be uh, the adventurer. You must be the man. That's what the cu- cu- culture teaches us, isn't it? If you're truly a man, that's what you are. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. <laughs> The Bible says if you're truly a man, you're the most gentle person on the face of the planet. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You're happy with who you are. You're delighted with the the gifts that God has given you, and you just get on, and you consider other people better than yourself. You're not trying to get to the top of the corporate ladder. You let God promote you. Man, it is completely different. So you're in works of meekness. James is saying that God wants more than gifted people. He's saying he wants people that demonstrate actual wisdom in how they live. So I felt God say this to me this week. Very interesting thing here. He's this this phrase is very simple. It says, You show by your good conduct your good works. I felt God say this to me. James is not encouraging us to show God's good work. God's good work in our lives is free. You are saved by grace. He's not asking you to demonstrate the fact that you're saved. The fact that you're saved is God's gift to you anyway. He's saying, show your good work. The things that you can do that please Him. That's what He wants to see. I've, I read this quote um, this week by Bill Johnson. He was just talking about the fact that we're spiritual beings. We are, we are called to a uh, spiritual life. But on that day when we get before the throne room and God is handing out His rewards, He's not going to say, well done that you were saved. Is He? No, no. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. That implies there's some work for us to do that is not striving. It's not like, oh, working it up. No, there's some good works for us to do. To preach the gospel, to see people saved, to reach out to the poor, there's some good works. That's what we will be rewarded for, not the fact that we are saved, the fact that you are saved, my friend, is a free gift to you. It's a free gift to me. I had nothing to do with it. When we appear before God one day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, what you have given yourself to. And and really what James is saying is echoing what he said in chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2 he said, show me faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. By my works, not by God's work. God's work is a gift. Nothing to do with that. By my works, what he's doing in me, I will show you that my faith is vindicated. What God did is real. I'm being transformed. And so I want to encourage you. I'm trying to close quickly this morning. I want to encourage you to living a blameless life. A blameless life. That's what James is trying to say to us. Um, by our conduct, to show a life of gentleness to all. That's what he's encouraging us to do. reminds me of Hebrews thirteen seven, which says, Remember your leaders. I just want to say this to you. I really want to encourage you to pray for, for, for the leadership team of this church. Remember your leaders. It's a good thing. We need your prayer. We need your help. Man, this, we can't do this without your prayer. Every single one of us. And when we get back in September, we're going to tell you exactly who God is knitted our hearts with who's going to help us lead for the next year. And we're going to pray for the guys. And you'll know exactly who's going to do what. All right. But I want to encourage you over this this time of rest for all of us, pray for us. (laughs) We pray for you. Pray for us. Okay. We need your prayers. And it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider how they live. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying consider the, uh, how they live, and imitate their faith. There's a the reality that people imitate who we are. When they imitate the good and they imitate the bad. I'm not saying that to put anything on anyone. I'm just saying it's a reality. And so, pray. <laughs> Let's pray for each other. Let's pray that God does a work of grace in all of us so that we can be a good, good witness to everyone. All right? So both in a verbal and, and um, non-verbal way. And I I believe the church should be this, the church should be a place of power. The church should be a place where people are transformed by the power of God. And it's that transformation that happens initially that enables you to do any good work at all. And so that's what we depend on. We We depend on the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And then good works flow out of that transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But you know it's possible to be witnessing, it's possible to be reaching out to the poor, it's possible to be doing all of those things, and at the same time, ignoring that still small voice in your life, which says, I want you to think about that thing, I want you to change that. And we can get so busy doing stuff, that the little still voice of God, which is actually saying, I want you to address that thing, we lose the still small voice. So I'm not trying to promote just getting out and doing stuff without actually... What comes before that is a walk by the Spirit. It comes from hearing God. Any good work flows out of hearing God. What are you saying? What is he saying for us for this year? I want you to be praying into that with us. What is God saying? How can we best impact this community? We had our leaders forum yesterday. We're looking at a Tim Keller video talking about loving the city, Jeremiah 29. God said to them, love the city that you're in. It's a pagan place. Love it. Be part of it. You're spiritually apart from it, but be part of the city. Pray for the blessing of the city so it can prosper, and you too can prosper. Well, we want to do that for St. Albans. We want to do that for Hemel Hempstead. We want to do that for Hatfield. We want to do that for London. Wherever we live, we want to see it prosper, and we want to be salt and light in that place. I want to ask you to start to think, how can we be salt and light next year? What can we give ourselves to? What good works can we give ourselves to to see the gospel come in people's lives? Are you with me? And so, he's basically, James is asking us to take responsibility for our lives. God has saved us. That's a good thing. We can live a disciplined life. We can control our temper. We can subdue our lusts that we're not motivated by lust anymore. We can do that by the power of the Spirit. We can control our tongues by the power of the Spirit. And James is saying that's a very good thing if you're living like that. But he's saying don't stop there. Those are wonderful things. They are excellent things. But let good works come out of that relationship that you have with God now as well. So it's good that you're controlling your temper. It's good that you're subduing your sexuality. It's good. The good things. But don't stop there. There's more for you in your life. And he said, chapter 1, true religion is visiting the orphans and the widows. Remember? But we're living for the well done that comes from God. And I guess there's a change in this for me as well. It's, very, it's, it's good to be bold in the pulpit. It's also good to be bold out of the pulpit. I'm asking myself. Yesterday, I said to Helen this morning, yesterday was one of the few days I can remember in this last couple of years that we spent the whole day with unsaved people. It was glorious. It was wonderful. Oh no, not the whole day, no, because we had the leaders' meeting in the morning. (laughs) Three quarters of the day, the afternoon and the evening, we were with with unsaved people the whole time. It was wonderful, just connecting with people that don't know Jesus and saying, "God, I hope my life shows." Uh, Not again. It's the the thing is, you not people are not projects. I want to encourage you this. with this. I felt God said this to me as well. People can pick up when we just befriend them because we want them to be saved. You can't, we can't do that. We've got to love people. We give ourselves away regardless of whether they respond to the gospel or not. That is true Christian love. And hopefully some will. What does Paul say? I preach, I do all these things in order that some might be saved. You don't know who's going to be saved, but you give yourself away. And don't be discouraged when people don't respond. Just love them. Okay, and I'm nearly finished now, right? Lastly, there's this encouragement for James about meekness, gentleness. It's just another word for gentleness. Um, And this enables us to live like this without becoming self-righteous. Because, you know, there is that reality. If you start doing this stuff, you can start to feel a little bit pleased with yourself. Hey, this is, I'm getting it right. God, thank you, I'm getting it right. You can begin to walk a little bit arrogantly. No, he's saying, do this in gentleness. The thing is, this is the double whammy. There's a dilemma for us. If we truly are starting to live like this, if we truly are living by the Spirit like this, you know what the natural thing is? If it is the Spirit, you don't want to boast about it anyway. True humility, true gentleness is always self-effacing. It's always thinking of others. And this is what Paul says in Romans twelve three, For the grace given to me I say to everyone amongst you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given you. And in the same chapter in verse 16, he says this, encouraging the Roman church, live in harmony with each other. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. This is Paul's encouragement. It's all about gentleness. It's all about not putting yourself first it's incredibly challenging because that's what we want to do we want to get ahead we want to, we want to be the ones you know. everyone wants to be an evangelist everyone wants, wants to, to be the one where hundreds of hands go up and say oh isn't God using me isn't that true but what if you are the guy who's going to sow seed for the rest of your life <laughs> and you might not see hundreds of people saved What are you happy with that to be a seed sower just to befriend people and reach out to people, and maybe you won't be the one that reaps, but that's okay. Just be who God's called you to be. I love that picture of Moses. You know, it says Moses left the tent, and he didn't even know that his face was shining. Isn't that amazing? He knew that he didn't even know that God was so at work in him that everyone else could see it, but he couldn't. That's true humility, when other people can see. And so, I want to finish by just saying this this morning. Um, if we were honest with each other, I wonder how many of us would say that we have in the last year spoken of Jesus to somebody else. I'm not accusing you. I'm talking in my own life as well. How many of us have actually reached out and spoken something of the gospel to someone at the school gate, in our business, whatever, just sowing seeds? And I want to encourage you that as we've, we're looking towards this, the new year. We are really saying, God, this church, this church, you promised this church would be salt and light. You promised this church would be a forest of many different kinds of people. How can we best engage with unsaved people in every area of our lives? I want to ask you, I want to implore you to start thinking and, and praying and say, God, little old me, what can, I, what can I give myself to, to be a seed sower? How can I just speak of your love to somebody? Help me to be bold. Yeah? That's really what it's about. Uh, perhaps you might be a person that can do that easily. Well, James also has something to, to say to those that find evangelism easy. Um, his challenge to us is how's your good conduct? How's your life? Are you responding to the promptings of the, of the Holy Spirit in all areas of life and all the areas that He wants you to, to change? Because unless you're doing that, All that good work doesn't really mean much to God. It's both and. It's the inward transformation and the outward of doing. And so, can we commit ourselves over the holiday time to be praying and saying, God, what is the thing that you're calling us to There's so many good things we could do. We don't want to just be doing a whole lot of stuff. We want to be doing the stuff that God is calling us to do. In the areas that God is calling us to do that work, because then it will produce fruit. Then it really will. We will see something of the gospel come into people's hearts and lives. So, it is a great challenge, isn't it? Who is wise amongst us? Well, whoever is wise, let him show it in his conduct by works of gentleness, works of wisdom. What are those works that God is calling you to do? Gentle works that are going to set other people free. Amen.